Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've got to say I'm loving the the Koi Foy tea towels. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Where did that come from? Well, they were designed by um, a guy called, I think you, just, you think you say it, Kayo, Kayo Wilhouse, um, who I'd spotted had been doing some lovely design work for people like The Big Moon and Katie J. Pearson and some other, Bridget May Power as well. And um, I said, can you, put a, can you put a design together? And we were kind of, I was thinking we were going to go for the binoculars theme on, that's been on some of the other things. But he was like, what about this? And I was like, okay, yeah, I can have a tea towel with, my, with me on it. That's, uh, I wonder how many people, I'm sure my mum will buy one for sure. But no, it's a really cool design. I think I'm just self-conscious of being on a tea towel. <laughs> <laughs> have you got one? No, not yet. So they are, because um, what's nice actually is that I've done like two order this time. Um, so I don't have them quite yet. But that means that hopefully there's less waste. I like the idea of someone coming into your house and you've just got a tea towel with your face on it hanging yeah, up. Yeah, I know, exactly. Uh, have I become one of those people at uh, such an early stage in life, <laughs> in my music career? Like, like you know, you've got, to, you've got to just live it, you know? <laughs> I, hear you're a, I hear you're a fan of terrible TV, like really bad kind of trashy television. How did you hear that? <laughs> Who told you? I think we share that in common. Oh, good. Okay, I'm glad. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a bad habit. Uh, I think sometimes I like ha- I do like to think I have good taste, but then other times I just indulge in yeah, really trashy stuff. What sort of stuff are we talking? I don't think I'm at the level of like like I don't watch Love Island, for example, <laughs> anymore. I watched it one, like one series, and I had an addiction to Friends for a while. I don't know if that counts as trashy TV. I feel like Friends is comfort TV, isn't it? Well, I think that's what I mean. I think I go for a lot of comfort TV. 
especially in times of difficulty. So this last year has been me like probably rewatching Friends and uh, New Girl, and also just just started watching <laughs> Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I don't know if I should. That's taken that. it back. Well, I know because I think I was probably too young to. It wasn't a series that was for me when I was growing up because it's full on like bang in the middle of the nineties. Who was in Dawson's Creek again? Because there's not a few people broke out of it. Um, Katie Holmes. Yeah, that's the one. And also Michelle Williams. Wow, I didn't realize she was in it, actually. Yeah, and they, I think they've done the best out of it. That's and, um, quite an interesting start for Michelle Williams. I know, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. And it's, and it's like totally terrible. Although I would argue that like compared to some of the other similar high school, American high school TV things that like their acting's like not that bad. Is it one of those cases though where it's a high school and everyone looks about thirty? Oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Dawson on season three currently is starting to have like a nine o'clock shadow, and you're like, yeah, you definitely look about thirty by now. I think he started it when he was in his twenties. So is it like your kind of classic sitcom? Does it like have those kind of tropes and it's just a different story happens every week? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's a sitcom. It's more like um teen drama. But it's not very dramatic, um, <laughs> and they they live in Cape Side, which is so it's all about so kind of set on the coast of America. I guess it's the east coast of America, and it's just yeah. I mean, there's the high school tropes. I mean, I feel like they were quite forward for their time. There's you know they're touching on things like stigma around mental illness and homosexuality. It's I don't know how but well it's aged though, because I don't think, but I. It's good, you know, that they even, well, this is bad to say, I mean, we should expect better. But in the 90s, they, had, they have a gay character, like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Kind of making strides in its time, but then when you get to 30 years later, it looks. Yeah. It's you can a bit kind like of give friends, a pat on the back. But. Yeah, we can allow it. But um, it's like how I think people have issues with friends now. In what way? Well, I, th- I think they say that some of the, well, I think some of the jokes around like Chandler, or actually any of the kind of, I think any of the male characters are often very, they make jokes about being gay and that kind of thing. And I think that's just actually not, not great. Yeah. It doesn't age well. Com- com- yeah, comedy never ages well. That's kind of the problem. Like if you look at anything from 30 years ago, it's usually a bit. Rubby. Yeah, that's true. There is something comforting though about the kind of tropes of sitcoms and like having to come up with a different story each week within those limitations. Is that ever like songwriting? Are there certain confines that you kind of have to work with and you feel and then it's about trying to find how to do something different with each one? That's a good question. I, I think I tend to, I mean, I think I have a bit of a set formula and I don't think, well, not a set formula, I mean, you know, a set approach that I always go towards, which is generally that I start with just playing around on guitar and in, enjoying certain chord progressions or um, certain lines and then we'll start singing over that and then lyrics come but I wouldn't say that I I personally go for any tropes or anything like that Do you always start on guitar? Generally yeah I really struggle with I do have lots of things in my like in my book that I write songs in that are kind of just lyrics or yeah and I, I really struggle to get them into a song once I've written them down so maybe they could just become poems um for some reason i've never i've never done very well at doing it the other way around like i might come up with a melody um in my head without any guitar and then record that on a 
in a, like a voice note or something. And that, that might be the other way. When you're recording that melody, how are you just singing it with any, without any words? Or do you kind of, I've heard people talk about it, I think they call it Klingon, where they kind of just sing random speak yeah, into the yeah. melody. Yeah, it's a bit like that, actually. Um, sometimes it will just be a melody. You just be walking along or in a situation where you just want to get it down. So you just sing it. Um, other times, if you keep singing it, I find that words will just come out. And I find that even when I'm, when I'm writing with a guitar, that I do let the words come and they do tend to, or um, certain words will come and then you sort of start to realize what your, what perhaps is on your mind or has <laughs> been on your mind. And then you might, yeah, then you might um, elaborate on that a bit, I suppose. And then um, I'm not very good at sitting down and being like, I'm going to write a song about this. And it's a practice that I think maybe I should, I need to be a bit more disciplined with my songwriting. I have to admit. How come? I think because for me, it's always been the songs that I like the most have always been the ones that just sort of tumble out. And I've always then taken that for granted a bit. But then as life has taken over in the last, the last few years, it's less often that I have chance for that to happen or that I'm in the headspace for that to happen. And then I would get to this point where I'd like need a, to take myself off for a couple of weeks, decompress for a week, and then I might be able to be in a headspace to write song so really that's not very productive if you want to be writing <laughs> albums <laughs> i suppose that's interesting though the idea of having to decompress for a week yeah it's whether you decide you're going to have the luxury to afford yourself that in terms of having a break or having a bit of t- time off and actually that's the other thing is that i need to change perhaps my mindset has been that i like, me saying to you time off it's not really time off because you are working and it, it's getting used to that idea that, yes, I am a songwriter and that is part of my job. <laughs> so maybe it's that imposter syndrome thing going, yeah, yeah. can I sit down here for a week? And <laughs> <laughs> It's a societal thing as well, isn't it? Like you can't, unless it's, we're almost expected that unless we're doing something that's completely a part of the creative process, we almost don't think of prep work in our minds as working. We can kind of trick ourselves into working. Yeah, and and I think the way I started, I would always do. I did start writing songs as a teenager, and it was always the fun that I had when I got home from school, and I would just write, moving it into a more prominent position in your life, where it's like, yeah, this is how how I'd like to. I was going to say how I make my bread and butter. That's not (laughs) as we know the music industry is not (laughs) not. lucrative but um you know if you'd like to then you have to you have to allow yourself that space to for that to be part of your job there's you know a few artists i know that really do treat it like a job in that they'll get up and they'll do 10 till one songwriting and then maybe and then have some lunch and then you know they've got a schedule for it and then maybe they'll do their like more admin emails kind of stuff later on and that's something i've always struggled with i suppose just because can you like can you sit down and write a song at well or will it just come to you i go through patches and that's the thing it's quite that's the thing it's quite inconsistent um so i'll go through patches where i will just keep picking up the guitar and something will tumble out it's it's been interesting actually over the last year the more i've been had the chance to just sit down and play the more that's come so there you go (laughs) that's the evidence there that you should be you should be 
making it a practice and my other my other issue is that I think I'm too much of a perfectionist and when you start releasing music into the world expecting to hear people's opinions of it you start to perhaps worry at the point of creation about whether it's good enough it's hard to judge that there's no real way there's no scale for that no not at all so you just have to write what feels good and remember that I mean that's exactly why I started doing it because it just made me feel good yeah, there's been a bit of writing songs at will, but a bit of the other as well, tumbling out. It's interesting because you mentioned earlier on about how the ones that kind of tumble out tend to be the ones that you maybe like the most. How does that work with you being a perfectionist as well? How do you develop the song and make it as good as it can be without inhibiting that like initial spark that really made you like it when it kind of just fell out of you? With those kinds of songs where perhaps they've tumbled out at the, the songwriting initial creative process, it's about not overworking them once they once you get into the studio so actually i'm generally quite good at being happy with those ones that kind of tumble out and maybe leaving them to it and maybe keeping on playing them and just seeing maybe the the mel- their vocal melody might develop a little bit but other than that generally i'll leave them but it's when yeah it's when you get to the studio that it, you start to hear everything back a bit more and it's less in its initial form and you you can indulge in adding too much or editing too much. So it's learning when to stop with that, I think. Is it almost like, it's interesting what you're saying there, you know, it's okay when you go into the studio, is it almost like the strings are elevating it rather than becoming a part of that initial song? Or are they kind of just a platform that it rests on? Yeah, yeah, a little bit because I, I like a song that when we go and tour live that I can play on my own with an acoustic guitar and it, um, stands up for itself. Stands up for itself. It sounds very like <laughs> proactive song. <laughs> um, but then those other elements. It's like it's. I relish the opportunity like to turn it into something else. Um, but yeah, I would describe it as elevating it because I think then for me it's important that once you strip those elements away again, that you still have quite a solid song. How clear an idea do you have of the arrangement when you go into the studio? Again, something I've really learned in the last few years and doing this album was a real learning curve for that because I'd done EPs before and I'd just gone into the studio and not really had much of a plan other than, again, little voice notes of me going, maybe this bit could go, (laughs) or um, yeah, we could have some like double bass here. But so then for the album, because you tend to be like resources tend to be tight, if you're doing it yourself independently, don't have much time in the studio, so you can't really be going in and going, I don't really know what I'm doing with this. Um, and I also wasn't working with um, a producer per se. I co-produced it with um, Harry Felsing-Smith, who also arranges the strings. So we, we went in with demos. So we demoed them out quite quite fully before we went in because then ultimately it was kind of a case of recreating those demos and it just meant that we could do everything in the time that we had but i think you know if i was working with someone different it, there would perhaps be a different process and but i would definitely always now go ready with some kind of demo even if it's just with me singing the parts that i'd like to hear but just actually instead of with random voice memos just putting them into the yeah into the actual body of the demo and the song did you use like electronic strings or anything in those demos 
I mean, Harry played on some of the demos, so I'm trying to think if he... I think, yeah, I think some of them were electronic, actually. It's interesting, because when you kind of have that clearer picture of the arrangement before you go into the studio, would you tweak the actual song in any way that you might not have had you not had the opportunity to kind of see it a little bit more fully fleshed out? You mean in advance of going in? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's been such um, a revelation for me, because it enables you to sit with it a bit more and let it stew, I suppose, or ferment. <laughs> There's lots of cooking metaphors. <laughs> um, back to the tea towel. Back to the tea towel. <laughs> do you think um, about it? Like when you listen to it, do you think about it a lot in your mind, like the arrangement and stuff? Do you kind of run it the through The tea your head? towel? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 that's why I like that space actually to keep, in, to keep, keep on going back to it. So I've got, because that out the this album that's coming out in June, it's um, been ready for for a while for one reason or another. So I've already I've got a solid set of songs for album two. Not quite enough yet, but so far I've just put them down as just me and a guitar, just so that they're down. But then that's great because I can listen back and then sing over them and think about what I want where. And I think that's really good because I think the more time that you have to to think about it you can let those things develop or you can decide, well, actually, I'm going to take that away. And I know that different producers have different ways of doing things and would choose to strip things back a bit more. But as long as I think you've got an idea of where you want it to go, that's important. So it's something I've definitely allowed myself more time to do in, yeah, re- in more recent years. I know you're a fan of long walks as well, right? Yeah, I am a fan of long walks. <laughs> would you ever kind of run it through your mind when you're on a walk or something yeah i think if i'm if like i said i kind of have patches of feeling uh more creative and um if i'm feeling kind of freer in that way then those things do come to me especially as long as the long walk is a a lonely walk (laughs) and you've got no one in your ear then yeah things can definitely ideas even like fresh ideas can come because just I'll just sing random melodies to myself and I'm not sure how how that makes me look in public. Um, <laughs> so were you like you're running melodies through your head just when you walk? Yeah, maybe just for, if I, when I'm talking about, it's like if I'm in a, I don't really know what constitutes a creative patch of time for me, but um, I've noticed since we're doing this, um, this year I started doing this book called The Artist's Way. I don't know if you've heard of. I've heard someone mention that on here before, but I can't remember who. I think it might have been Beans on Toast. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I, know. I have a feeling he spoke about it, maybe. Um, it's this it's book by a lady called Julia Cameron. I think it's kind of from the 90s, so some of it hasn't aged well. It encourages you. You might have heard of these morning pages that a lot of artists and creatives do, and I'd heard a lot of friends talk about it and all about just you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is write three pages no matter no matter what it is, even if it's like, I don't know what to say. You just write that for three pages. It's like The Shining. The Shining. <laughs> just writing, I don't know what to say over and over again for know, three pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and plus the context of the pandemic. Uh, um, Sorry, I threw you off there. No, it's fine. She kind of talks about, it's kind of this unblocking. Um, that That's really interestingly led me to, have a much more consistent bout of being feeling freer, create 
creatively because I think sometimes with with everything that's going on in life be it in a pandemic or not you can get occupied by other things and then those the creative side of you and the that freeness to just experiment I think sometimes can get for me personally that's what happens it just gets a bit lost I've really enjoyed getting that back a bit it's kind of returning to when you're a child and you're a bit more you're just less inhibited and less worried and you just let things out yeah, well, you can almost think of songwriting as like, I think Brian, you know, always talks about songwriting as like an adult's way of playing. Like as you would like play as a kid, songwriting and creating is kind of one of the few opportunities we have to get back to that and kind of be free in that space in a similar way. Absolutely. And um, any creative practice when you're an adult, is, it is part of that play. And that's important because I think we, we do lose, we lose that and we lose it quite quickly. Play is very important. <laughs> it feels more a little more prominent now like in the modern world though like you see a lot of people kind of gaming well into their mm. 20s and 30s now mm. which probably didn't used to be that common even 10 years ago yeah that's that's very true actually less creative but it's still that kind of means of play it is yeah i mean i don't know much about the gaming world but it's definitely yeah it's i mean definitely still means of play isn't it what, what do you find yourself writing then in the morning what typically kind of tends to come out do you notice kind of patterns and stuff in those three pages What's been interesting is that I've been remembering my dreams more. I'd got into a good habit of like leaving my phone in another room before going to bed. So like no phone before bed anymore. But then I was still, it was like the first thing I'd pick up in the morning. And actually you're then not, you're not allowing your brain to, to adjust to the day. You're you're kind of going straight into distraction mode, like distracting you from where you're really at. And I suppose generally I was just becoming more aware of how I was feeling emotionally which I then in turn allowed me to be more present. And plus, yeah, I'd just start. Sometimes I'd, it'd be the first thing I would do after waking up and I'd be half asleep even and writing these very strange dreams down. <laughs> I mean, she encourages you not to look back at it because I think she's targeting it at writers and them not to be like looking back over it and picking problems with the actual writing. Um, it's almost but like yeah, a reset, like a form of meditation. Yeah, basically just kind of, splurge and then leave it and get on with your day and then supposedly you know it changes things within whatever your creative brain that and I had I did notice that I was things were just more readily available like on the surface kind of more accessible to me um and the dreams thing was just I loved because I for years I'd been like I I can't remember my dreams I don't think I dream like what's wrong with me (laughs) (laughs) and then I was having dreams about me being like it's some kind of Alice in Wonderland situation with Phoebe Bridges. That was very strange. But then, yeah, just all sorts of things. Was she the Cheshire cat? Sadly not, no. I think, I mean, we were both kind of, it's kind of strange, <laughs> both dressed in like a, like a white dress. So I think it was, she was kind of very Alice, very much Alice in the situation. But kind of rooms getting, going to a room, getting much smaller as you're in it, and then tiny as the toilet. <laughs> it was a, we were in a toilet together yeah <laughs> are you still a sleep talker yes i think so i've not been told of anything i've i've said uh recently recently what oh, word. um yeah but i yeah very much a sleep talker is that a similar thing where you just talk like what you're seeing in your dreams or is it completely random well the thing i've never really remembered a dream when i've been told that I've been sleep talking. So that's always a shame because I'm like, well, I can't piece this together. I've had some really 
so yeah, some really beautiful ones over the years. What stuff that you said? Yeah, no, not yeah. Oh, I don't really mean beautiful in its literal sense. I just mean, but just a little bit interesting, a little bit kind of poetic, maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the one. There was something about. Oh yeah, I need. This is profound. I need water, otherwise nothing will grow. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lyric, right? D- a double flash of scary. It's not going away. That was another one. It's quite dark. That sounds like a nightmare. A double flash of scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I should um, take take them and run with them as songs. It almost comes back to walking as well, though, doesn't it? Because that space you're in when you kind of wake up. It's similar to walking, when your brain kind of just switches itself off and goes into that free state. Yeah. That's why I find um, it interesting that you're coming up with melodies when you're walking. Like, as soon as your brain kind of switches up, off, it mm. goes completely musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we don't allow ourselves enough space to do that kind of thing. It's something I'm quite interested in, and I listen to various podcasts about things like mindfulness. I've been hearing a lot recently about that getting your brain into that state and how doing something as simple as like washing up where you're doing something else with your body. So yeah, walking is exactly, exactly it. And then it allows your brain to actually center back in on where it's at. And it just allows your, I think it allows your creativity to flow a bit more essentially. I'm trying to do more of that. I feel like you kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit, don't you? In your mind when you kind of get into that state. Yeah. And you've got to, You've got to allow it, though, as well, because I sometimes I think there's, for me, there's resistance there. But that's what's been really nice about this year is that I've kind of learned not to be so resistant. That's a good lesson to allow learn. Allow it. Yeah. So thank, thank you, pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Silver linings. I feel, are we kind of skirting around the edges of what asylum is about? That kind of search for peace? And is that the kind of space you were talking about in that song? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, I think a theme in a lot of my songs about, about that finding peace and trying to make sense of what we're all doing here, trying to make sense of my own mental chatter, I suppose. The existential buzz. Yeah. So a lot of the songwriting, songwriting for me, and this is a classic line from a lot of people, I imagine, but it was, became, did become very much a form of the therapy when I lost my dad when I was uh, 15 and it's always helped me to make sense of things so to that end things yeah Asylum and other similar songs are me go kind of leaning into that a bit and trying to make sense of of everything and when perhaps you go through grief you you do question things more not yeah I mean I don't know, maybe there's people who haven't been through it that also have regular existential crises, but... Um, You're talking to one. Okay, well, there we go, you <laughs> see? Um, so it's not just me. Um, no, I know. I think it's, it's a creative thing as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that's it. If you're creative, you're just, you've got to be questioning things. Otherwise, what is there to talk about? Yeah. But do, you, do you find yourself doing that too? Yeah, all the time. All the t- but... Not even just in an existential way, like questioning why everything is. Why are there billionaires, for example? That was the first one that just came to my mind. <laughs> like, why, why is there such a massive kind of gulf? Once you start doing that, though, it can get tricky. 
like quite quickly. Well, yeah, exactly. Tricky is the word. <laughs> There's a real, real rabbit hole on the Alice in Wonderland theme. Um, For sure, yeah. Yeah, because you can get quite bogged down with how uh, how heavy the world is. <laughs> um, but there is a lot of goodness too. But yeah, it's, if you it can be easy to feel the heaviness, especially at the moment. Yeah. Does the music almost help to counteract that, though? The fact that you're kind of creating this beautiful piece of art through the questioning, does that help to balance out a little bit? Definitely. Definitely. A place of solace. Um, And also, just music in general, listening to other people's music. Where would we be without it? And their their own processing of things. Sometimes I'm self-conscious of how potentially melancholic my songs are or that they are tackling these big topics. And I've spoken about that with people and, and they say, well, no, actually, because it, for a listener, it's something that they can I, identify with. And I suppose that I hadn't thought of that, but actually that's, what I, that's why I love music, because you're ide- someone else is saying that, yes, I have these thoughts and questions too, and here's how, I, here's how I'm going to express it. It's a different kind of connection as well. Like, it's weird, because when we think of connection, usually it's between two people in a conversation, it's very tangible and it's very there, whereas you could be connecting with someone who's died 50 years ago. Yeah. Like, it's bizarre. There's nothing else like it in that way. Yeah, yeah, I'd never, I'd not even, you're totally right. You can, and it sort of transcends time in that way. It's strange to think that, yeah, like, music lives on for a long 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 time and so many people can identify it with it over the years in different ways and there'd be so many different interpretations of it and i love that that's what's so great would you go to asylum in your own music and asylum from someone else's music for different reasons that's that's a very good question (laughs) (laughs) um yes is if it was a yes or no question um (laughs) i Ultimately, for me, my songwriting is quite a selfish situation and it's me going, these are my feelings on the page. And they're not totally selfish. I write, you know, I have written about others and my, my love for them. And, but it's all me processing things. And I think other people's music, I don't know, allows me to, to do that in some way. But I mean, when I, before I started writing music, before I could play guitar, and I was kind of just, I just loved music. Um, that was very much my, my outlet, kind of music that's, that can make you in equal parts feel like you could just sob your heart out, but also feel euphorically happy. I remember being touched particularly by that kind of thing. So I would live through that, my, uh, I don't know, process emotions through that. But then when I, was able to harness that for myself and start writing songs, then that became my main outlet for it. So now other people's music, I think I approach with more, it's a different perspective now because I'm a songwriter myself, but I definitely still get asylum in different ways from other, other music, for sure, from all kinds of other music for different reasons and for different moods at different times. And it's not always my songs that will satisfy that because sometimes you just need a break from your own brain and having someone else's take on things that you can perhaps live through a bit there's less pressure less pressure exactly you used to sing in choirs as well right 
Mm. Is that kind of somewhere between the two? Because you're creating yourself and you're a part of it and you're singing, but at the same time, because there's a lot of you there, there's a slightly less pressure and it kind of falls between listening to other people's music and creating your own in terms of that asylum. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It It is that. Um, it's the kind of communal music making and the feeling of voices together in a choir is something quite special and something I really, I really miss. But you, you're a part of something. So yeah, that pressure is off. You're, you're, it's more about the whole, it's the whole that you're contributing to in that situation. It's not just on you, but you are a very important little cog. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's very much like that in a choir. We were saying before we started that you're going off to do some session work later today, singing for someone. Is that a similar thing in any way? You're kind of free from your own creative pressures, but at the same time, you're still expressing yourself in that space. Again, it's it's a reduced version of that because obviously you're not you're not part of such a a big choir, a big choir, I suppose. So this there's you know one half one half of two backing scenes <laughs> what am i what am i saying um it's just me and another girl singing doing the bvs so there's a bit more it feels like there's a bit more pressure to get it bang on i suppose but there's this wonderful thing about voices yeah three three voices coming together the lead and two bvs um also when you're singing for other artists you get the chance to be inspired all over again because we're we're working on some new songs for this artist and you know when you get the demos through and you're like wow that's like I'd never have thought of writing like that or um putting that there and that's that's a really nice thing to be singing new music with someone and being part of that process and I think that can inspire you all over again. Is it a different energy being in the practice room with someone on someone else's project to being in the practice room on your own project? Absolutely. <laughs> You're there to do a job for someone else. So the pressure's like off in some ways and then on in other ways, if you see what I mean. It's, um, you're not worrying about yourself and you as an artist. And, you know, when you're potentially when you go and do that project on stage, if it's, if it's your project, then it's all about you and the focus is on you. But when you're the kind of supporting artists, there's the session players, it's about you supporting that primary person yeah you don't you don't have to get into your own head so much when you're singing for other people we we touched upon you kind of mentioned earlier on the way that the record has that existential edge to it and it's very much questioning things and asking why do you have more conviction in what you do and your decision making when you go through a period of intense self-reflection or questioning like that i'd like to say yes (laughs) (laughs) i don't know whether i Maybe right now I'm going through a period of uncertainty again. <laughs> Comes in waves. It def- yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I kind of see life as, is that I go through these yeah, phases and sure what everyone does. And perhaps, yeah, with, the, with that record that particular, of that particular time and that particular, that particular existential crisis, kind of came to the end of that and felt more... Yeah, felt more self-assured by the end. But that was probably, to be honest, that was probably as much to do with going through the process of making an album than anything else, because I'd not done it before. And everything's such a learning curve in in music, in the music industry. So now I'm very, like, very excited to do the next one so that 
because I feel like I know what I'm doing a bit more. First one's kind of like laying the foundations in terms of your approach to it. Absolutely. And I mean, it felt like it was a step up from having done the, the EPs that I'd done in the past. I hadn't really been used to the studio setting and doing demos in advance to save time and that kind of thing. And so doing the album was a step up from that. But at the same time, it was also a culmination of quite a few years of of learning and also of songs. So some of this, it feels like, although there's an overarching theme to the record, there's a real, for me, I mean, it's hard to know whether people would, will hear this, but for me, it, there's quite a variety of songs because one of them I wrote when I was quite, quite young, but it, there was a lot of tying up of ends for me for this record. Um, whereas with like the one that I'm writing now, I'm writing them over a much smaller period of time. So they'll feel much more representative of a very specific time. Whereas the last one, or the, the first one that will be coming out, you know, it's kind of tying up like a 10 year period for me. I think this next process will perhaps be easier in the sense that <clears throat> I've done it once before already, but also that the songs will have come out of a much more specific time you know you mentioned the eps there as well and how you'd kind of done them previously to the record but it feels like on the record you kind of have a lot more space to stretch out and kind of go in slightly different directions if you think of something like work of art for example like that's very melodically bright and sonically quite rich and warm as well how did you kind of select the tracks for this record like was that a factor kind of wanting to make sure you were getting quite a full picture i think so because i, I mean when i'm talking about the song I wrote a long, long time ago. It's a song called Bones, and interesting. Felt... That's kind of the darkest one on the record, like very brooding. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's teenage angst for you. It felt important that that was there, but then it also felt important that there was so, like, work of art, for example, was probably written in 2019 and then recorded at the beginning of the very beginning of 2020, before the world changed. Um, <laughs> The before so, times. The before times. So, yeah, one consistency on this record is that everything was written in the before times. Um, <laughs> so if you, if you think about Bones and then work of art and the kind of journey between the two, Bones was very representative of a very particular time very early on in, in grief. And then work of art was me saying, well, actually, there's a side to me that's not just about that. And, um, I mean, yeah, it still touches on themes of, like mental health and but there's more of an <laughs> upbeat feel not because it's fast it's like 95 bpm but uh <laughs> because it's a bit lighter in uh sentiment so that was me kind of going well actually there are other kinds of music there are other kinds of feeling that can come out of me it was a bit a bit more fun i suppose yeah it has a darkness to it too, though. Like, time moves slowly, watch it sink. Yeah, I, I mean, who knows? The day that I escape from, like, total, <laughs> like, even just a bit of darkness will be, you know, I don't know where we'll be at then. Maybe I'll, I'll be like, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it the darkness of Bones that kept it in your mind for all these years? Yeah, I think for me, Bones was, like, something that I didn't necessarily... I wanted to see what it could be, could be done with it, with an arrangement to it. 
and I had these the idea for the you know it's quite it's a bit more of a sparse song in terms of the production on it but I had ideas for like layering the the, the vocals in those like hmm bits and the piano line that's also reflected by the clarinet so I wanted to see it come to life a bit more because I don't think I particularly enjoyed playing it live but I liked it when it was elevated why didn't you en- enjoy it live I don't know I didn't interestingly having said that I think the best songs are those that can stand up on their own just me and the guitar I didn't particularly have confidence that that one did but it's because it is so dark and it's dark in so like work of art is has darkness if you're if you're paying attention <laughs> to the lyrics bones is dark in in its ent- feels like to me in its entirety you know and it's um in the melody and the chords the right i mean it's in a minor key you feel quite exposed actually as a solo artist singing that with just an acoustic guitar and for some reason i think i struggled with doing that on stage but maybe i mean i'm gonna have to get used to that now that it's on the record and i'm gonna have to go out and play it on my own so <laughs> maybe because it was a song that you wrote so long ago as well that maybe plays into a little bit or that's that that's probably part of it to be honest so there was a song that I wrote. So I did a an EP, my strings EP that I think, when did I release it? February Last year, 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels like so long ago. Um, and on that is a song called Never Be the Same Again. And that was like the probably the oldest song I've written. But again, it was something I wanted to reimagine with strings. And it was I really loved the reimagining and the arrangement with strings. But then going out and playing that off the back of it coming out. And people, people enjoying that and being like, oh, we'd love to hear it. And um, there's a lyric in it that's like, the sky isn't blue, the colour's the same. And every time I sing it, I'd be like cringing. Um, maybe I should have changed it. It's, it's, yeah, it's something with Bones and with that. It's about, I think I, you're going back into a quite a, into this teenage self or younger self who's quite vulnerable, really, because it was quite, I was talking about very like fresh grief. I'm less able to perhaps separate myself from that when I'm playing it live. So maybe it just touches a nerve with me, actually. It's a different kind of vulnerability as well, though, because although you've gone through grief at that point, there is also a slight innocence because we talked earlier on about how heavy the world can be sometimes. There's something different about vulnerability when you still have that innocence about you as a young teenager. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you wear it on your sleeve. You wear it on your sleeve like you're wearing your heart on your sleeve, if, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, you're more open with it, I think. You're more raw. You're more like, you're not buried under layers of being an adult. So it is, you're totally right. It's a different kind of vulnerability. And I almost think it's like more accessible. So it's, that's why it's a bit scarier, I think. And it's really interesting playing those songs now, but like 10 years later looking back at myself at that age and learning to be kind about it instead of automatically kind of cringing and going, oh God, I was like terrible, <laughs> terrible. What, why, why, why did I write that? Or this is such a terrible song. It's nice to see that progression actually and you should allow that because that's an important part of where you get to ultimately. Do you ever go back to something and almost don't recognise it because what you wrote or what, you, what you've written was so entrenched in the time that it came to you. I don't think I've had that so much. 
they're they are yeah they're specific to a time but pretty familiar with that when you know that song will transport me back to that time and I can kind of place place that yeah I mean there are songs there are songs that I'm like perhaps don't want to recognize where I was at but yeah <laughs> I guess if you can like you were just in there if you can view it in terms of the progression it can make sense maybe like it stops that from happening yeah I think so although I mean I look at a song like one of my first songs in the middle of the night and I think well I mean you can still see the progression there I guess but I wouldn't you know I wouldn't want to hear that now or play it so <laughs> so yeah of its time of its time exactly like Dawson's Creek like Dawson's Creek <laughs> that's my Dawson's Creek in the middle of the night and it's funny because it yeah it came out at a time when it was actually of its time and um there was that whole like I think there was folky kind of new folk was more dominant in the kind of mainstream I suppose so it was apt for its time but yeah definitely glad I've moved on we've touched on it a few times the fact that the song is asking these questions what's an answer you found through making it which has affected your life in a positive way I think with so like where should we begin which is a song as well as the name of the album and it's where the album begins and it's where the album begins <laughs> I'm really heavy on that um yeah where shall we begin I mean to be honest it that kind of sums up for me because that's the I think that's the most with the other songs I think I veer off a bit like they're gen there might be some general existentialism but they're they're also more specifically about my own grief or grief through the lens of others whereas I think I wrote that song and A, I was really proud of it and I really love it. But also throughout it, I'm sort of examining what, yeah, what we're doing here, what I feel, felt a bit, it was at a time when I was feeling a bit, I don't know, like I've been shortchanged. <laughs> like what am I, what am I doing here? And it's, this life is quite tough at times and I'm not sure I like what I see, what I've been, you know, I think as a kid, you're, perhaps your picture is of one thing and as you grow up it changes so it's kind of talking about that i don't know almost like a defiant kid being like a bit not having a tantrum that's not really the, the tone but um being frustrated with how it, perhaps it's turned out but by the end of the song i come around to talking about how you know ultimately it's okay because we have community and we have the people around us and so I think, for me, that was a song that comforted me in that way. So it did, yeah, it did enable me to kind of work through that a bit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.